Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Binkley, I don't know if you've seen this top story breaking news right across my flash. Actually, somebody tweeted it at me before I got my Washington Times notification. Bill Cosby's conviction was overturned. What I do you was think about, about that? To send you that article, <laughs> then I saw you had already put it on our shared document. Yes. Can you believe? And it was exact. It was the first thing I. So the the article I read in the New York Post, which a lot of times is pretty good. No details whatsoever. It just said because of a deal he made with the prosecutor originally, he wasn't allowed to be tried for that. But I wanted to get a little deeper into it. I knew exactly what grounds they would have overturned it on. His Fifth Amendment rights were totally violated. He got an agreement with the prosecutor that he would not be prosecuted so that this chick could sue him. Him in civil court. And pursuant to that, he was obliged to make this deposition. And people act like they're still acting like he's totally guilty of giving people roofies and raping them when, in fact, he had quaaludes, which they basically took. No, they definitely took them knowingly. And he was there were other violations of his rights, including that he was denied the right to have a witness who said he overheard Andrea Constant plotting to extort. Bill Cosby in this way. So we did a show. I did a show on WSB where I brought I I remember you were surprised to hear that the details of the case and we brought it to the air. I put the episode 111, which is how we posted it on Libsyn in the show notes for the show. I anticipated that and many other constitutional violations. I want to I'm going to take a breath, but I want to read the Fifth Amendment to people and also point out that I said at that time. I felt it was an Eighth Amendment violation because he was subject to cruel and unusual punishment. I think that was the Eighth Amendment. Cruel and unusual punishment because he's a blind man in his 80s who did not pose a threat to anyone. Three years into his sentence, while his appeal was still being processed, he had already had a hung jury. I was confident his uh, his conviction would be overturned. But three years into it, he went, it was up for parole before even the appeals went through, and he refused to take a class on violent sex offenders, which as a blind 80 something year old, he really no longer posed that threat, even if it was originally his thing. But he was like, I'm not a violent sex offender. He would not take it. He said, I'll serve this entire thing. So he was denied parole. And I considered that a uh, another violation or the same a repeated violation of the same Eighth Amendment issue. And uh, I will take a breath. You were way ahead of this one. I was definitely misled by the way the media talked about this case, as many others have been as well. I'm a little surprised that the headlines weren't rapist has conviction overturned. Yes, right. Over on technicality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the Fifth Amendment, but they, they'll definitely call it a technicality. We should be so, clear. Nobody's calling Bill Cosby a good guy or anything. No, we're, he, we're just, yeah. I, I mean, even if you read the deposition that the jury said that they convicted him based on his own words in the deposition. And what he said in the deposition was, I ha- I propositioned women not for sex but i invited them up to my apartment i offered them quaaludes and wine which they took i did not drink and i intended to seduce them that's what he did you can judge that however you like but what he was convicted for was actually not doing that what he was convicted for was something forcible 
you really did predict this a long time ago, and you've been calling it for a while, and I haven't heard anybody else predict this one like you did. Ah, you really thank nailed you. This one. You know, I don't I tend not to I try not to predict how the courts will rule or how juries will rule like the Kate Steinle case. I was absolutely certain that that story wasn't what it appeared to be and that that guy should have his he should not have been convicted. The accused shooter and he wasn't. And everything has been that guy. I believe there's nothing left against that guy. And I knew I recognized the reality of the case. But getting a judge and jury to see it, to rule it right, to see it right. It really depends on many, many details of the case and how. So the corrupt judge or maybe it was a judge with a venge- with a uh, with a vendetta was responsible for for Bill Cosby's conviction the second time. But I do I think it's important every once in a while for people to be reminded of the texts of these amendments. So let me read the Fifth Amendment to you. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger. Nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb. This is the problem, I think, with uh, having the same act classified as several crimes that can have consecutive sentences or the same crime being tried at different jurisdictional levels, federal, state, like federal crimes really shouldn't be a thing. Okay. It says, nor shall a person be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. That is where Bill Cosby was compelled to be a witness against himself, not in the criminal case. It was a civil case, but then it was used in a criminal case against him. It was interest. It was against his interests and the the government had assured him that he could not see this is a good thing to give someone immunity then you can get the truth out then they can't take the fifth if you give them immunity they must testify i think that's how it works so it's good to be able to give them reliable immunity for several reasons in this case it was to free up that woman's chances of getting a civil conviction against him which she did uh, or i think he settled for a certain amount of money which she got to keep even though she too violated the rules of that which included not doing this not going to criminal court. Anyway, it says, nor should you be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. I like to remind people that getting convicted or getting committed to a mental institution without a jury of your peers, I'm against. Red flag laws, I'm against. These are life, liberty, and property that you are being deprived of without due process of law, which I would classify as a jury of your peers. Nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. So there you go. Well, I think we have a situation here where even one of the most unlikable people has had their rights protected. And that's a good thing for everybody. Yes. And and they because everybody's not as unlikable as him. Right. This is why I coined the phrase sacrificial wolf. Because it's very easy to put Harvey Weinstein in jail or Bill Cosby. It's a little, little harder to put Aunt Kay or whatever Lori Loughlin, Aunt Betsy, whatever Lori Loughlin's name was. But they take people who are unsympathetic and they take their Derek Chauvin. They take, uh, I would say that his, that maybe double jeopardy should apply to the fact that he's also being, going to be tried federally. That it's very easy to say who cares about that person. And of course you don't, but. We do care about their rights because they're our rights, too. Yes. An example of the system working to protect rights as the way it's supposed to work. 
regardless of whoever it is that is being tried, their likability or anything. I'm wondering if he's going to tour again. Are we going to hear any prison food jokes, a special on maybe his his roommates? I don't know if he had roommates in there. I, I don't know if that'd be the, the wisest PR move for him, but... Well, he doesn't care about that, but I, I yeah. he he actually really got educated in prison. He regretted the pound cake speech that probably that that got him in trouble in the first place, really. And I think he has some new insights that would be very interesting to hear, even if he is an abrasive jerk or or a sexual predator or any of that. I'm really interested in what he has to say. And I think that they should be afraid of him because clearly he's not afraid of them. And that's where all our power lies. I, I don't expect him to live very long. You might be right about that. The Senate race in Georgia is in the news right now because Trump was on the radio show, the Travis and Sexton show. And these are the new guys that nationally are branded as Russia's replacements, which one of them comes from the sports world, which Rush did as well, which I find that interesting. But anyway, so that's the guy Trump goes to. And Trump is telling them that Herschel Walker is going to run for Senate against Raphael Warnock in Georgia. And he says he's going to do it. And he said he had dinner with him recently. He said he'd be fantastic. And Herschel Walker made a statement where he didn't as all the way say he's going to do it as Trump did, but basically said that he's considering it. Georgia is his home and he believes we need fighters to step forward to help save Georgia and that if he runs, he is going to be all in. Now, the AJC listed some of the obstacles that Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker is a former athlete at UGA, a, a beloved athlete from Georgia. Go ahead. Did he work for Trump in the USFL or didn't Herschel Walker? I think he, he play played on one of Trump's teams in the XFL. I the believe USFL. I'm thinking. USFL, whatever the name of that yeah. league was. I believe he was one of the players for his I team. Think so, back yeah. In the day. Yeah. I think that's how they formed a relationship. And, the obstacles, which some of them are kind of funny, that the AJC says he's going to have to overcome. And I see this as the AJC kind of laying out the attacks that might come against Herschel Walker. They say that he would be the front runner for Republicans, which he absolutely would be. I mean, he'd be a shoe in, in my opinion. And is he charming? He seems charming to me. He seems like, a, seems like he would do good. He seems like he would do pretty well. And they said, well, to begin with, he would have to move to Georgia. <laughs> he lives in Texas Why? right now. I saw Fran for the That's true. He didn't Maybe he doesn't even have to move to Georgia. But then they listed a few others, like he doesn't have the the donors yet or whatever. He'll get all of that because he's got Trump support oh, and he, yeah, he'll get all of that. But the one that stuck out to me is they said that he would have to overcome his battles with mental health, his struggles there. And then they pointed to an interview he did and a book that he put out where he talked about his mental health struggles. His book is called Breaking Free. Apparently, he has dissociative identity disorder, also known as multiple personality disorder. So that's what the AJC is saying that he would have to contend with. Now, I wonder, is this not on the intersectionality ladder, the multiple personality, the the mental, the actual, not the not people saying, oh, he's got mental health problems, but actually being diagnosed with a mental health problem. I would think that would fall on that ladder, not to mention that. Most politicians change who they are, who they talk to anyway. But I'm wondering if this is the preview of the attacks, then the Democrats better hope he does not run. Because what are you going to do as a Democrat? You're going to say, look at this this racist who happens to be a black guy who's got literal mental health. But you can't attack somebody like that. You'll look like a jerk. 
I think they do it delicately. Like I wouldn't want, I, I love this guy. I really want him to be successful, but it's not appropriate for him to have this kind of power when because he's got he, oh, mental you're a health racist. issues. That, that's the response. I mean, I, I, like, I, you think Stacey Abrams he's is admitted above? his mental health issues, right? Who does? He has admitted his mental health issues. Oh, he wrote a book about it. Right. He, he talked about it in his book and opening up about it. I think you could spin this as he is showing what you can do regardless of the obstacles that you have in your life and overcome. I, I don't see how you can actually attack this guy without looking just like a low life for Democrats. I, they better hope he doesn't run. This is a beloved character, beloved guy from Georgia. I mean, unless they're going to say one of his multiple personalities is a white nationalist or something like that. I don't know how they're going to use the same line of attacks that they use. I think he would win hands down. That would be great. That would be where I, I would say sounds good. OK, couldn't be worse, probably. And I do remember when Sarah Palin was running and they attacked her for having a child with Down syndrome. I mean, that's kind of you know what I mean? They can really yeah. I would have attacked her for being a warmonger, but they attacked good her for point. something totally different. And also this is I'm sure some of our listeners know the answer to this. I think the existence of multiple personality disorder is is in dispute. Although I'm sure if you're bored, you know, if you, if that's within the realm of possibility for you, you probably have something that you can hang a label on. Yeah. That I, I've read some stuff about that as well. It's, it's interesting. It will be a very interesting subject. If he does run the mental health topic will be thrust into the news even more. It would be great if a libertarian could get to him. And uh, they call me snake was a tweet who turned me on to Thomas Saz, who is a famous psychiatrist who really disputed the very the the way we talk about or how we identify mental illness at all. And he is the one who got me thinking that that is a loss of liberty that you can that can happen to you more easily than someone who commits a violent crime. They have more rights than you do. So it would be great if he would advocate for the for the rights of people who have had mental health issues, as opposed to what's being advocated for now, which is a wholesale removal of their rights without so much as uh, a panel, that that's what these red flag laws are. Some anonymous source can tip off the cops and they take the guns first and ask questions later. As Trump said, we can worry. Let's get the guns and we worry about due process later. That was Trump paraphrasing Trump. Trump has definitely identified a great candidate, and if the Republicans didn't get behind it, they'd be crazy. Abr- Stacey Abrams not going to be able to attack him the same way she attacks Kelly Leffler. It'd be a little bit of a different approach they'll have to take. Yes, and I actually that reminds me of your intersectionality comment that a friend of mine sent me a a so I don't know I think I think it was a, just an email response to somebody. His friend asked uh, the HR department, I think it was at a big bank in New York and the about a person who wanted to become an intern It's very hard to get internships at, at banks in New York. I can tell you firsthand, very, very hard. And as a matter of fact, when I did get my one big internship at Merrill Lynch, which was in the M&A department back in the day, when I showed up, they didn't want me there. They were total jerks, total boys club. And they said, just so you know, we did not want to hire you. But they told us that because you were a chick from Stanford or a woman from Stanford, we had to because we were your first choice and we had to. So that's how they introduced this diversity measure in my face and then gave me fake work to do. It was a horrible experience. But fake work. 
Yes. So they gave me this big, long project and I was working on it and they had like they scheduled the meeting for some date, which later was like the the um, firm or that department's picnic. So there was no way they were all going to this meeting on a Saturday. That was the picnic. And when I tried to charge, use like a code to make photocopies and stuff, there was no code for this project. And uh, one of the managers came by, a high level guy, managing director, black guy. Say so he came by and he's like, how are you liking it? And I said, well, I think they they made up a a, a project for me. And he I mean, he immediately I mean, I, he verified I was right just by looking at his eyes said, just stop working on that right now. And I was like, wow. wow. OK, so I guess he knew there were shenanigans afoot. So it wasn't great. And that's when I took a different job coming out of school where the, they they let women wear pants. I was like, wow, that's really progressive. And people said that that place is not friendly to women. I was like, I don't want a place that's, quote, friendly to women. Then you get these guys who were like, we have to hire this girl. We don't want her. This other place really want just they hired two women out of 40 that year and we were there because we could pull our way. Anyway, that's an old story. But this, so one of these banks said, okay, the sophomore summer program. So a sophomore, sophomore internship is, is very early on. Like that's, that's really early. You rarely get anything that young. Your first summer, you usually don't get anything. So the sophomore summer programs are an integral part of our diversity recruiting efforts to attract black, Hispanic, Native American, female and or LGBTQ college sophomores. For that reason, all op- applicants that do not identify under the criteria listed above are unfortunately ineligible for the program. Please let me know if you have any questions. So it looks like they have this sophomore program they would not otherwise have. I'm not sure they ever had one before but it's purely for diversity purposes but the way that reads it really i i've I've made up an acronym for it s-w-m-n-n-a do you do you ever hear of i-n-n-a i-n-n-a it was a big thing in new york irish need not apply so when my i think this was around when my grandfather grandmother came over but i think it might have been before that but there was a lot of prejudice in new york irish need not apply So there weren't like a lot of immigration laws, but there was this. So this is literally straight white males need not apply. What? Uh, Well, I made that up. Yeah. Well, that's that's what it it seems like. S-W-M-N-N-A. Because look, it's black, Hispanic, Native American, female, and or LGBTQ. That is. I mean, right. What am I missing here? Arabs? That's nuts. It's getting more. What if you're blatant. Jewish? Does Jewish count? I don't know. It really is getting kind of ridiculous. I, I'm of the opinion that I wouldn't want to work at a place like that anyway, so I'm not going to try and work there. But just the boldness well, of some of these measures. My experience was that that they thought of me differently. They thought of me as a burden. They gave me a deal that didn't exist. Wow. Well, on a similar note anti-harassment training type note there's a city in oregon this is warrenton oregon they are requiring anti-harassment and discrimination training for the entire city after city workers anyway i was gonna say wow (laughs) i guess you gotta get your vax on the way in the door (laughs) after a library board member and planning commissioner complained about a library employee's preferred gender pronoun this entire story 
it's kind of funny because it reads like gossiping older ladies, but the impact of it is really quite it's quite insidious. It's like what do they call it? A microcosm of what's yeah. going on around the around the country. Here's what happened. Apparently in Warrington, Oregon, when somebody is hired at the local public library, there is a article written in the newspaper introducing this person <laughs> to the city, which I was wow, like, that's wow. Kinda, that's a small, probably small town, a small yes. city, but that's nice. That's great. I love that. The woman who was introduced... The woman who wrote the article named Kelly Knudsen, she introduced a new employee in the paper using that employee's preferred gender pronouns, which were they and them. And a, a lady on the library board did not, or former board member now, her name is Marianne. She took issue with this description and she emailed somebody on the planning committee named Christine about it, calling it disturbing the gender pronouns. And she said this, she said, I don't like being forced to read such pronoun drivel. And I'm sure this liberal wokeness is most likely permeating our little library. And then the oh, I'll tell you how the, this information was obtained in a minute. That's the really, really interesting part of it. The planning commissioner then replied with, I surely hope our little library does not fall victim to perverse indoctrination. And so that's the little email exchange between two people just talking to each other who both have a similar opinion. Well, this email exchange was obtained by another local newspaper through a public records law in Oregon wow. that so allows it, it anybody... Was- a work email address, though. Exactly. And yeah, that is you gotta exactly watch that. the problem right there. It was subject to that public records law that anybody could obtain. But I want to know how that newspaper knew to obtain it, knew to, knew to ask for it, probably because it was being monitored by their boss, who was all on board with, with the wokeness strategy. This the one lady the the lady who sent the initial email stepped down the planning commissioner she apologized so she bent the knee and she stepped the one who stepped down she said i resign you know why which i think is a great response but Communist. This is a communist strategy. This is an activist strategy. This is anybody seeking power over an organization strategy. They try to take administrative positions so they can monitor things, so they can plan, schedule, so they can determine who gets messages, who doesn't. Stalin did this. This is how Stalin worked his way up in the party is he took an administrative position and they use that strategy because of the power that comes with it. These activists will go to these organizations around the country and try and fill these positions so they can monitor emails, so they can tip people off. Wow. I had a huge story that I can't get to today, but I'll bring it tomorrow about a law in New York that they're trying to push that will end and they mean it to be cut and paste to other jurisdictions that will end at will employment so that they really have to do a paper trail and everything to get people fired. And one of the things they were citing is how somebody got fired for wanting to bring their BLM activism to work and not being permitted to do it in the way they wanted. Also, the guy said he had a hard time getting people to join labor unions or um, strike for $15 an hour wages. And he said, now, if we can get this law passed, we can uh, people we can recruit employees to come be activists without fear of getting fired. And my first response was or put employees in there in order to 
blow up a place. Exactly. The takeaway there is be careful what you're emailing on your work email and, and be wary of those who are in those administrative positions. Absolutely. And I just uh, following on to that, there was a few headlines today that California added four more states. They now have 17 states that ban uh, travel, state paid travel to those states. Now, I don't understand why state employees ever have to on state tickets to go travel. I know Austin sent a delegation to L.A. and San Francisco to mimic their homeless laws because I don't know why, since I have the worst homeless problems in the country, unless you wanted that. And I'm sure it is. So I'm not great. I don't appreciate interoperability of these subsidiary governments anyway. But the reason is, he says, so uh, Bonta, I forget who he is, the Democrat Attorney General Rob Bonta said, make no mistake, we're in the midst of an unprecedented wave of bigotry and discrimination in this country, and California is not going to support it. So let me tell you what which states they were and what they did that was an unprecedented, characterized by unprecedented wave of bigotry and discrimination. It's He added Florida, Arkansas, Montana, North Dakota, and West Virginia, and this is what they did. They banned transgender people who were born male to participate in girls' sports. Wow. Everything just gets painted with the same characterization. I mean, there is a real reason. If girls, so in the previous thing we saw that Big Bang counted females, females as a, as a class they wanted to uh, appropriate as a, for their anti-discrimination measures. And now girls sports, it's a competing rights issue. If you want to think of it that way, like immigration and abortion, like you you have two groups that you want to protect girls and LGBT, or I guess just T people. And there's a real issue there. It is not discriminatory. It's not bigoted. It's not bigoted. It's a competing rights issue. It's why that intersection, intersectionality ladder is not logical because it competes with each other. For our final story of the Free 30, Monica is going to dig a little deeper on the building collapse because the numbers that we're seeing literally do not add up. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about what we're going to talk about in the Patron 15, which is the Democrats' favorite election fixer, Reed Hoffman, wants to scan your eyeballs. I'll tell you why. <laughs> And the third in our new patron series, Seven Ways Our World Has Changed Because of COVID. According to a popular propaganda outlet, Monica is going to give you her take on the third one of those. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor of today's show. Monica, I will let you take that away. Right on. Our sponsor is government-scam.com slash Monica. And just so you know, people who go to that landing page can get 10% off. And what our friend Etienne from that site, so we have the government scam books, we have government is the biggest scam in history, we have the Larkin Rose books from there, What Anarchy Isn't, and The Greatest Superstition. I've talked about those books, they're fantastic. You can get packages there at government-scam.com. I just got from Etienne three friends free, a children's story of volunteerism. And it's really, I mean, what these guys do is they take the tactics that are used against our 
uh, population every single day. They use, some of the stuff is for visual learners. Some of the stuff questions basic assumptions. Put it. They put uh, analogies, um, drawings, things that help people understand basic principles. And even if you don't want to agree hook, line, and sinker with everything these guys say, when you look at the stuff, it helps you think of a different narrative compared with the narrative you're learning or your kids are learning in school. And I have found many times that I have been able to blow up people's arguments just by suggesting they look at it in a different way. And often analogies are a great way to do that. This is, isn't an analogy this little book, but it's a little story of three guys who do different things in a more like kind of simple world. And along comes a fourth guy who says, hey, I'll make sure nobody messes with you if you just give me some extra food. And as they feed this guy, he gets bigger and bigger. And well, it doesn't go as well as they had hoped, but it's really, really a fun little book. And it's very clear what uh, a different way of looking at the history of modern government really can be. And I find that's a very helpful little story. And this is what will happen. This is my prediction. And this is what I've seen in my kids. You read this story to them. Okay, I'll give you an example. My little son, we were walking out of the Whole Foods in Buckhead. And at the counter, before we left, there was a pile of cookies and he wanted one of these cookies or many of these cookies so i said no 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 and we're we're i'm just like come on we gotta go i'm walking out and there's all these little chairs and tables outside it was a nice day and he is stomping along he's little like five years old he's stomping along and he says to me calls out to me because i was ahead of him you just like the government telling everybody else what to do and i was like Good point. I am not. I'm just not giving you money for a cookie. It's my money. <laughs> you would be the government if you stole the money and bought the cookie <laughs> anyway and ate it and did not share it with me. Uh, anyway, so these little things that you teach them, they understand. Then they use those as an analogy. So I really like that idea. Let me tell you that Etienne added it this little book to the everything bundle at no additional cost. So what you could have gotten ready for $100, now you can get this too. So what comes with the $100 bundle is a copy of Government, The Biggest Scam in History, Exposed. Everybody loves that book. What we do, what I've done, a lot of listeners have done, you buy five of those and you just give them to people who are ready. It's like Share the Show Tuesday. It's like get get this book for people who are ready. A, a 16 gigabyte Liberator flash drive a copy of Larkin Rose's The Most Dangerous Superstition and What Anarchy Isn't, two books that I really like. Sedition, Subversion, and Sabotage by Ben Stone. That's one I'm not familiar with. And just saying this will surely get it delivered to my doorstep that if I know FTN. I just got that one that you, you talked about, the children's book. I'm, I'm eager to Oh, you to got Three Friends it. Free? Yeah. yeah. I mean, for you and me, it takes us five minutes to read. But for a little kid, you could read it many times. And you could ask questions on every page. Like, what, why, what might he be doing? What might happen? Like, you could say, okay, what might happen if you have to give this guy food when you feel like you're in danger? What if there is no danger? What do you think? You think he's going to maybe go look around, see if any tigers want to come over, come fishing in your neighborhood? Like that's there are little lessons that you could teach at on every page. And I really like that. And I kind of feel like these all all of these books 
uh, hit different people at different stages, like what Anarchy Isn't, I feel like is absolutely great for teens. This Three Friends Free for Younger People, Most Dangerous Superstition for... I would say squarely in the adult category or precocious teen. But I think this stuff has value. And the very least, if you would just check it out, government-scam.com slash Monica. They're a big supporter of ours and they do good work and we appreciate it. And we like when you support our sponsors. It's a way of supporting us as well. Very effective method that they are using over there. They're doing great work. If y'all haven't yet, I encourage you to check us out on the new video platform, Rockfin, at rockfin.com slash propaganda report, where you can get exclusive video analysis of the globalists themselves plotting to dominate the world. Not kidding. I find these little scene videos of the powers that be laying their plans, and Monica and I deconstruct them and show how these plans are playing out in the real world. We often deconstruct something in these videos, and then in the following weeks, see literally the exact same talking points come from Joe Biden and come from the various news outlets around the the U.S. Our latest videos include a deconstruction of how those behind the Great Reset are attempting to coerce the use of the global ESG standards onto corporations around the world. And also the one that I just dropped today is a deconstruction of a Council on Foreign Relations training where they are teaching local journalists how to report on domestic terrorism, which includes telling them that independent healthy living groups are a guise for domestic terror groups. It's quite shocking what they're putting into people's heads. And there were local journalists around the country there um, virtually, and I've seen some of the stories play out in the news since we have recorded it. So check us out on Rockfin. That's rockfin.com slash propaganda report. It is a subscription-based service at $9.99 a month. With your subscription, you get access to not only our content, but all of the content on Rockfin, which includes a lot of great creators like Sam Tripoli, Jason Burmis, Chrissy Mayer, our friends, The Mad Ones, True Cezilla. Lots of great stuff there that you will not find on YouTube because Rockfin does not not censor rockfin.com slash propaganda report. Make sure you subscribe on our page. And now on to the last story of the free 30. A little bit more on this building collapse in Florida. Some things that just did not add up. They talk about the leaky pool, leaky pool deck. The pool deck and pool are totally intact in every picture when this entire giant building fell down on it. It's pretty crazy. Some people are saying, well, there could have been leaks underneath, but then would the water not have leaked out of the pool? Like, I don't really understand I mean, maybe a little bit over time, it auto-refills. I don't know. It doesn't look right to me. The way they're quoting the building manager, the head of the condo thing is saying, like, these cracks mean there's rusted rebar underneath. She wrote that in April. She just... She, there was no additional inspection. I read that letter of hers and she said it. She should have said it could mean that's what she should have said. I don't understand why it didn't say could mean there's no evidence to support that. Now they're showing pictures that were taken a couple of days before the collapse that supposedly support that. I am not convinced. And two things have real three things. What really, really uh, unconvinced me is when you look at the picture of the building pancakes, which is a 9-11 term, they're comparing this to OKC and 9-11 pancakes, which isn't a real thing because, I mean, maybe it'll pancake, but what you'll see, and you actually saw some of this on 9-11, although most of the structural steel was 
you know, blown up, severed, I'm sure with charges. That's what the squibs kind of tell us on 9-11. But you could still see some of those structural support beams standing up in the rubble, sticking straight up. And there was one that really did not come down. If you look at this picture of the building, it's the whole it's one whole wing of the building. It's not just I first I thought it was just the balconies, which is why you didn't see any steel structural support beams. There's no steel structural support beams sticking up or even in sight in any of this. That just doesn't make sense to me. I actually ask if the building has slinky disease. Do you remember slinky disease? No. Mr. Lubner had slinky disease from Saturday Night Live. He was born without a spine. They used to keep him in a box. Oh. Okay, so this building, there is no such thing as slinky disease. So this building had no no skeleton. It makes no sense. Anyway, all right, maybe there's an explanation for that. I don't know. Somebody uh, tweeted at me maybe or messaged me on Patreon saying that the the I said, well, why are there Israelis there? And they said, well, it's a wet, it's a wet crew cleanup. Like it's a, you know, that I guess that's what you do when you clean up like a dead body, like a wet crew. If, if they're trying, if there is funny business, you're going to have to have people in there cleaning that up, cleaning up that evidence. And to have somebody outside your system is more, is able to you know, what do they call that? Containment? Like Breaking Bad, they used to have an outside person come in and clean up the scenes. After yeah, they, that's, uh, yeah, wet crew. That, I think, is what the guy's talking about. I don't know. Like, we're not, that's just speculation. I'm not saying, I'm not bringing that to you, but I'm just saying it was kind of an interesting insight into why we'd have the uh, outsiders there. But I did some math. The math has been bothering me the whole freaking time. 159 people were missing there that maybe there were some some dead people on top of that or the numbers now to 149 as like 12 or 14 or 16 bodies have been found. But let's just say 159 people were originally missing or dead. So if you look at this, there was the whole building had 136 units. Of the, uh, it, there's a quote I have that 70%, the quote is that 70% of the units are occupied by primary homeowners and second homeowners. That's what the, uh, I guess some building manager guy said. Okay. Just listen. 70% was occupied by primary homeowners and second homeowners. That, does that mean there's a 70% occupancy rate? I think he means there's a 70%. It was 70% occupied, not 100% occupied. And some of those people were secondary homeowners. So you can't think that every single solitary one of those people was there. So at the, at the lowest end of that, let's say that 30 units were occupied, right? So if it's 70% occupied and uh, that gets you down to whatever, 40 occupied apartments. And if it's some of those were second homeowners, let's say 30. Okay. So there's 30 units. If there are, and in one article I read, 102 people right away were accounted for. The first six, six days ago, 102 people were accounted for. So take your 150 and your 102, whatever, let's say it's 250 people supposedly were in that building. If only 30 units were occupied, I think that's something like, what would that be? Eight, eight, eight people per apartment that was occupied? That there were eight people in each one of those apartments. Okay, so let's say that that is the absolute outside maximum. What if every single one of those, and the, most of the, uh, all of them, almost all of them were two or three bedrooms. The penthouse had four bedrooms, and there might have been some one bedrooms, but basically it was two to three bedrooms from 1,500 to 2,200 square feet, okay? So if even if all of those 
building, all of those units were occupied, that's 55 units, it would be uh, 4.5 people would have been in each one of those units, 2.9 of them dead or missing. So three people per unit at 159 people dead or missing. I mean, three people per unit. That seems like a lot. And it would have been plus the hundred would be four and a half people per unit in every single unit at that time. I'm finding that hard to believe. That does seem like a lot. How big are these seem units? Right. They don't seem... They're 1,200 yeah. to or 1,500 to 2,200 square feet. And in my mind, that's two or three people would live in that. And it doesn't seem like it was fully occupied. So two or three people even just living in that, you know, one, two or three people would live in apartments that size, in my opinion, in my experience. My yeah, it would preference. seem like it would be towards the lower end, especially if it was a vacation type, second home type thing. Right. So, I mean, at the very lowest thing they're saying is like it's three people per unit. This is a very strange story. It's a strange ass story. Oops. Yeah. And they're strange dragging it out to a story. over oh, a period. Of time. Have, it's interesting. Go ahead. I have a quick shout out. And then uh, I've got tons for the patron 15 as well. So. Susan. Thank you for introducing me to the Propaganda Report back in January. It's been a great listen and now the only podcast I make time for. Glad our fun conversations about politics, the multiverse, and potentially living in a simulation led you to introduce me to Monica and Brad. Also, thank you guys for making quick, digestible, digestible and informative shows from Alex. Thank you, so Alex. I guess he and Susan have a, a little fun. He thought that would get her attention. Yeah, so I hope so. Hopefully I did get her attention. <laughs> so that was really fun. I love that. I really, so maybe she shared the show on a Tuesday. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm shouting Susan and Alex out and they both get to listen to the patron 15. Fantastic. You guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content I was telling you about, go to Propaganda Report or go to rockfin.com slash Propaganda Report or go to patreon.com slash Propaganda Report and join up there. We will talk to you guys in the Patreon 15 or tomorrow. Have a fantastic rest of your day.